Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, Health Canada has approved Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccination. When will we get it? Many have said that we could make these vaccinations right in Canada now. We'll tell you the story. And could the Huawei CFO case be tossed out before it ever gets to court? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. It is Wednesday. You know what that means? Me neither. Keep wearing a mask until we get a vaccine. I know, guys, it's tough, but we can do this. It's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson. Hey, we'll take it. We will take it. We will take it. We will take it. Great news today. Uh, uh, Health Canada has announced that Pfizer... Uh, the Pfizer vaccine has now been approved in Canada, and that's all the hurdles that uh, need to be jumped. And it, now we move on to distribution. So great news, great news all around uh, that uh, a vaccination is uh, on its way. Uh, good afternoon. It is 1210. It's uh, 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Willers, come back at the station, keeping the Scott Thompson Home Show on the air. Facebook and Twitter, jump into the fun there. We would love to hear from you. And as well, uh, don't forget, you can send us a note via the website, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. All right, uh, lots of great news. Let's bring in Amanda Connolly, Global News, uh, and, uh, and, and expand more on this. Uh, Amanda, thanks for the time. Boy, it must be a very celebratory tone around there. Well, it is certainly an exciting day up here in Ottawa. Of course, as you were mentioning there in your intro, this is really the news that uh, everyone has been watching for, waiting to see what would happen with the approval of this vaccine. We're still waiting for a lot of new information here. Again, we're kind of going off of this uh, regulatory approval notice. Of course, officials are speaking, uh, just beginning to speak right now. And so what we know so far is that, of course, this is being uh, hailed by Health Canada as a critical milestone in the fight against the coronavirus pandemic, that this was issued under uh, an interim, uh, basically kind of fast-tracked authorization, and that they were saying they had their, their most experienced people working on this file to make sure that they could get it out both quickly and as thoroughly as possible, that there are no safety concerns from their perspective right now or any evidence of of issues on that front. Many are talking about the speed in which this came to be, but again, I think it's it's important for us to to really focus on the fact that this was a global effort. In other words, all hands on deck. And when you get everybody working around the world on something, it's amazing what can be achieved. Absolutely. And that's, that, that is one of those things, as you note, that you, you hear a lot of concern from folks about. I think when you start to kind of dive into what actually goes into these kind of approvals, what goes into these developments and look at the process of that, a lot of those concerns um, begin to be, um, you're, you're relieved of them because, again, you're looking at the, um, the standard approval process for vaccines for other things that have not been as urgent and as, as far spread as, of course, this pandemic has been. It has paralyzed the globe the global economy, people's lives everywhere across um, the world as well. And so really there, there is no direct comparison to look at the approval and the, the, the speed of this process, apart from saying that this is unprecedented, as so many things are 
with this pandemic right now, but that we are being assured by uh, the people who are in the, the top positions here in Vaccine Safety and Health Canada that this was done with all of the, the proper approvals and checks in place to make sure that Canadians will be safe. Now, we remember uh, just a couple of weeks ago, the Prime Minister started a firestorm when he said we won't be first in line for any of this or we won't be getting it with with the rest of the countries because we don't manufacture it uh, anymore. And, of course, uh, a lot of people were upset with that. And and a lot were saying, well, you know, too, we have to go through our own approval process as if our approval process was somehow grander than the rest of the world's approval process. And, again, it, it's been well known that through th- this information has been uh, released in stages and everybody's approval uh, authorities have been getting this at at roughly uh, the same time. And then uh, the prime minister announces that prior to Christmas, we're going to see uh, roughly 250,000 vaccinations come in uh, from Pfizer ahead of Christmas. And all of a sudden, uh, the approval and the discussions we were having before uh, don't matter anymore. And, And now we're ahead of the United States in even giving approval. Are you surprised we're here now considering a week ago it was all about, well, we got to wait for approval. We got to wait as if that was sort of a distraction away from the distribution issue. So I think we certainly heard that addressed earlier in the week. Uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was saying effectively, look, they, they didn't want to get people's hopes up that we might have access to this uh, earlier than that January to March um, time frame they had given us previously. Um, that That is kind of, again, we're, we're kind of looking at all of this as uh, very rapidly developing moving targets here. And so Trudeau was saying they've been working on getting these kinds of um, approvals and, and access since the summer that they've always been pushing for access as soon as possible, um, but didn't know if they would be able to get this in December. Again, we're looking at a very, um, very limited rollout. So as you mentioned, there are 250,000 doses from the Pfizer vaccine coming to Canada in December. But again, re- remember, this is a two-dose vaccine. So of those 250,000 doses, it's looking, it's again, likely that you'll only have about 120, uh, 24, 25,000 people actually vaccinated from that to be able to have those two doses on that tight time frame. So again, this, this really is uh, an, an unprecedented, rapidly evolving situation in every sense of the word, uh, and one that the, the government has been under a lot of pressure to keep Canadians informed and updated um, about how we are moving in tandem with um, allies and, and other economic partners to make sure that we're able to both get get our citizens protected as quickly as possible and also be able to you know reopen in stages the economy of course this has been absolutely devastating for so many small businesses for all businesses and sectors really and so that really has been um, a, a big issue here and a big concern for all of us as well and what about the fact that this was actually approved before the FDA when there was so much concern about approval say last week or so of course, we're, we're watching very closely for the FDA there. Um, again, health, there are a lot, a lot of vaccine, um, medications and drugs that um, the FDA, for example, will approve that Health Canada does not approve and, and vice versa. They, they are entirely um, separate and independent and make their own decisions. So I wouldn't necessarily look at that as um, 
anything again to like any any kind of indication of a problem no, I guess. and we don't want to mislead anybody and and elude and i want to be very clear about that we do not want to mislead anybody and i'm not trying to suggest that there is any reason at all to suspect that this has not gone through the rigorous process that the whole world has put this vaccination through in the last little while and i'm not questioning that at all and i want to make sure our listeners know that but again what i'm questioning here is the changing in messaging here where uh a week ago it was we weren't sure how many we were going to get and it was all about making sure it was safe and it was going to get approved as if you know delaying the approval process would somehow um you know uh, uh distract from the fact that we we really didn't have a strong distribution deal a strong way to get the product into uh the country and then in the end we end up approving it before the united states even even does that does that not seem a little odd to you and again not right. questioning the safety of this but certainly the political messaging here. Right. And I think that that, that kind of gets to um, the heart of what we've certainly been hearing from some of the um, the opposition parties through this about uh, whether the government is being open and transparent enough with the information that they have. Again, the terms of a lot of these deals um, have not been fully disclosed. And so we're really going off of um, what information the government chooses to share with us in terms of, um, again, what their options are for moving things up, for securing more uh, and that that really has been something that the the opposition, uh, the conservatives have been pushing for is is um, more clarity and more detail about these these terms that we know again when things like this happen, what is the context for it? How did we get here? How were we able to um, move this quickly? And was this um, again, as the government is saying, something that they've been working on all along, or kind of a unique opportunity that they were able to move more quickly on here? So um, again, that that is certainly part of this the ongoing uh, political debate and discussion up here in Ottawa, and the, the government is certainly being pressured to provide um, more and as much information as possible so that um, we have more answers to those questions. So what happens next, Amanda? What's the next piece to move here? Really right now, so we are um, in, in the immediate kind of right now moment, we are watching uh, what officials are saying from Health Canada about the approval process for vaccines. They are literally speaking to us right now as you and I are speaking as well. And so uh, moving forward from here, though, we know that the the um, the expectation is that we can begin vaccinating people as soon as next week. We've heard that for the past couple of days now from the officials who are running the, the vaccination um, distribution plans for the country here. They are working to make sure that those uh, the, those uh, supplied, the, the chains basically of distribution are fully in place, can handle getting this vaccine from point A to point B to point C, because, of course, you're, you're talking about an ultra-cold vaccine here. It has to be kept at very specific, very cold temperatures, and that really is the um, that ongoing logistical challenge for them in, in um, rolling this out as quickly as possible. So that is the next big thing that we're going to be watching very carefully is um, at what point do we officially kind of take in um, or accept the doses of these vaccines, and how quickly can we get that out to um, to the, the first people to get those doses. Amanda Connolly has been with us, Global News political reporter. And, of course, make sure you're watching Global News tonight at 5.30 and 6 for more on all of this. Great news, Amanda. Thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thank you. Uh, interesting article in yesterday's Globe and Mail. Passed over Canadian biomanufacturing company says it still can produce a COVID-19. And one of the authors of that, Justin Ling, freelance investigative journalist, is with us now. Justin, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, as good as can be expected under the circumstances.
Yeah, I hear you. Uh, Justin, before we get to your uh, column, your thoughts on uh, the vaccination now being approved by Health Canada, the uh, the Pfizer vaccine now being approved. About a week ago, uh, when we were talking about distribution and weren't sure when we were actually going to get shipments of the vaccine, uh, many were using the approval process as, as kind of a distraction. Well, we have to make sure it's good. We want to make sure Health Canada approves it as if somehow we were going to be later to approving this than the rest of the world and in fact now we've even beaten the united states so what are your thoughts on how this whole story has evolved well i mean i, I think it shows the process worked you know I, we're going to talk in a minute about some of the the headaches and, and potentially some of the screw-ups about vaccine production but i think you know this so far is showing that the government strategy about procuring it from abroad is working pretty well um you know, i think people wanted the approval process rushed I'm happy it wasn't. You know, there are concerns right now in the UK about uh, folks who who are prone to allergic reactions, having bad reactions to the to the vaccine, which is normal and to be expected. That is the sort of thing Health Canada should be looking at. That's the sort of thing Health Canada did look at. And the fact that we're actually going to see some of these doses, 250,000 doses of this vaccine in the country by the end of the year, I think is amazing. No one could have predicted we'd have a vaccine in eight to nine months at the start of this thing. But my God, we did. So will the focus now come on getting the product here and how much of it and and then distribution from there? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, the the vast, vast, vast majority of vaccines we're going to see in this country are going to be shipped in from the U.S. and the EU. Uh, we're going to have to figure out distribution points, getting that from um, you know the airports uh, where they're arriving to um, distribution points in each province, and then figuring out how to uh, get those to the public, figuring out who gets them first, who's at the back of the line, who's at the front. Um, but thus far, things are working. You know, this isn't a monumentous project. We've never really done anything like this, and at least not in the last century. And the fact that we have not seen any major hiccups yet is a really good sign. There's going to be headaches, obviously, um, but the fact that these vaccines are so effective and that they were made so quickly and that they're going to be you know, stuck into people's arms within a, a matter of months, I think is, is a huge win. And, and that goes for the prime minister. I think it goes for President Trump, um, who you know helped for a lot of the innovation that made these vaccines, and it goes for all of the uh, the, the the healthcare agencies uh, that are working diligently to make sure that uh, everything is is going to run as smoothly as we can hope for. All right, so let's hope for, yeah. Let's get to your piece in the Globe and Mail here, and uh, we've only got about three minutes here, and we got a lot to cover. Uh, obviously, the the Prime Minister stated a few weeks ago that this would be an issue that we're you know we weren't going to be uh, necessarily at the front of the line, certainly and by no means at the back. Um, and 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 there was obviously concern about production. There's there's uh, people questioning the Cancino deal and such. And obviously, at that point, he said we don't make them anymore. So obviously, we you know we can't expect to get them before everybody else. What is our capacity? What happened here? Yeah, so I'll turn through everything as, as quickly as possible. You know, from the be- you know from the beginning, it was always clear that we were going to be buying a huge amount of vaccines from other countries. That's normal. That's to be expected. Um, some of these vaccines are going to be the intellectual property of the companies that made them and are not going to license them for production in places like Canada. That's to be expected. But from the very beginning. The, the federal government said, we want to be making vaccines in Canada. So we're going to invest in candidates that could produce a, a promising and effective and safe vaccine. One of the hallmarks of that plan was to go with a Chinese company called CanSino. 
a big part of that was to research, produce, and test the vaccines with the help of the National Research Council in Montreal, a government-owned facility. Now, that project from, from very early stages was actually recommended against by the government's own experts and scientists. Um, when that deal fell apart, when China pulled out of the deal, it had become clear that the National Research Council wasn't equipped to produce even small amounts of this vaccine. So you saw the prime minister come out and say, well, we're going to invest. You know, there are no labs in the country who can do this work. So we're going to put money into the National Research Council to have them produce the vaccines themselves. Well, then it comes out that it's still not enough. The National Research Council needs a whole new building to produce these vaccines. So there's another $120 million invested. All the while, we just learned recently, there is a vaccine company, not across the country, but right next door to the National Research Council in Montreal, who has a lot of experience uh, researching and producing vaccines, who has worked for the government of Canada before, who has not received a dime of public money. So we're pitching $170 million into a National Research Council facility, which, by the way, has now been delayed until probably mid to late 2021. We're pitching all that money into a government lab as a private lab sits right next door, largely unused, without any kind of government support. And we heard the president of that company just yesterday on CTV saying, we could be producing one of the most promising vaccine candidates, the AstraZeneca vaccine, but we weren't asked. They're saying if they get a phone call, they'd be ready to do it you know, pretty quickly, within a couple of months with some, with some investment, obviously, but they haven't been asked. So there's this big question at the center of the, of the Trudeau government strategy, which is, did you adequately look at existing companies who could have done this work faster hmm. and much cheaper? Uh, Justin Ling is a freelance investigative journalist, uh, has a current article in the uh, Globe and Mail. Passed over Canadian biomanufacturing company says it still it can still produce uh, a COVID-19 vaccine. So so basically, and again, I'm going to ask you to say this in a, in a capsulated version. How did we get to where we are? Uh, talk about what went wrong with a CanSino deal and why this Canadian uh, biomanufacturing company is saying what it's saying now. Yeah, I mean, sorry, I'm going to go even further back. I mean, the government of Canada, in some ways, the Prime Minister Trudeau is, is right. The government of Canada, going back to the 80s, has consistently made decisions that has either underfunded, undercut, or ignored our domestic biomanufacturing uh, capacity. And you know, this, is, this sort of stuff is the future. I mean, um, a lot of these easy-to-make, uh, effective vaccines, a lot of these therapeutics that are based on antibodies and gene therapy, you know, this sort of stuff is where we're going to find the cure for potentially HIV, for things like Ebola, for things like the common cold. Yet the government of Canada has um, consistently failed to invest in promising technology and companies that can do this sort of work here at home. This sort of stuff is not super profitable, so sometimes you need some government investment. Now, what's so bizarre about this is that the Prime Minister had been very critical of that. He has criticized his predecessors for not investing in Canadian companies, for not investing in this capacity to do this sort of stuff at home. But all the while, he decided initially to partner with a Chinese company, even amid um, you know, a, a, a growing diplomatic row with Beijing over the, over the past couple of months. Um, that uh, project with CanSino was recommended against by his own vaccine task force, early on uh, in the project, yet they forged ahead. 
um, when that deal fell through, rather than looking you know, through the field for other potential candidates to produce the AstraZeneca vaccine, the government of Canada, like I said earlier, kept pitching money into this government lab that doesn't have a lot of experience in this, in this field, does not have a lot of experience scaling up, does not have a lot of experience mass-producing vaccines for human use. Yet, uh, even when we started asking these questions of, you know, why wouldn't you pick maybe an imperfect uh, private candidate, the one that could get the job done faster and cheaper, the government just kept sort of fobbing us off and saying, oh, well, it's all confidentiality. And you know, we, we looked at everyone in the field and we picked the best candidate, so we're not going to keep answering these questions. Um, it's, it's quite frustrating to watch this. And, you know, and, and I shouldn't suggest that the government of Canada hasn't put any money into the domestic industry. It has put some. But the problem is it's often been too little and it's come too late. So there, there have been some labs that have gotten money for, for kind of long-shot vaccine candidates. But arguably the most promising Canadian-made vaccine candidate is in Quebec City at a company called Medicago. I was told that the government funding came so late that their trials had to be delayed. So it's really frustrating watching this government talk a lot about the need to invest in private industry and the need to invest in expertise here when they either ignore the companies who are well-suited to do it or uh, you know, cut the check way too late for that company to, you know, to meet the deadlines that they need to. So it seems as if rather than going with a private company and giving him the incentive to do this, uh, the, the, the prime minister wanted to go with a government type lab. Uh, what is the best way to do this? Do we give this money to a government agency to do this? Or does this, do we just come in, uh, with, with a good deal with private industry that gives them incentive to do this? I mean, you could probably do both, quite frankly. I mean, we yeah. could have a government, you know, even going past the COVID-19 pandemic, there is a need for a lab that can mass produce vaccines, that can quickly kind of pivot and do therapeutics or gene therapy or what have you. Um, and thus far, it, we have not been able to sustain an industry to do that, a sizable industry to do that in Canada, in large part because governments won't partner with them. You know, we've seen the Canadian government actually go to American companies that do this work instead of fostering Canadian ones, which is uh, uh, bewildering to me. Um, but going forward, there will be a need for a lab that can do this. And if the government of Canada wants to pitch money into making a government lab, fine, so be it. But it just seems strange to me that we would do that as there is a very promising, you know, rather well-intentioned private lab right next door that could be a part of that solution. Maybe we can do both. Maybe we can find a way to divide that labor to be more efficient. But there doesn't have there doesn't seem to have been that conversation happening at all in Ottawa. And and we're just trying to get to the bottom of of exactly why the government is so dogmatic about this solution that only involves this government lab and doesn't pull in some of those some of that private industry, some of those companies that, that have been trying for so long to do this sort of work and have been ignored again and again by the government of Canada. Why so much interest, in your opinion, in the Cancino deal, considering their own people recommended they don't do this, and, and just all the myriad of other issues going on in relations between Canada and China? Yeah, so it's an interesting question. A lot of it actually, I think, comes down to the National Research Council itself. And I'll tell you about a story I worked on earlier this year, and it was about this really promising Ebola uh, therapy that basically helped folks suffering from Ebola recover in a, 
rather miraculous way. And the government of Canada invented this therapy in a lab in Winnipeg. The National Research Council was pulled in to sort of try to scale up and mass produce this therapy in hopes of sending it to West Africa to save potentially tens of thousands of lives. Now, one of the companies they pulled in to do that work was our friend at Nuvax, the very company that's been passed over for this COVID-19 vaccine. Mm. Now, instead of actually partnering with this lab at another one in Toronto, they did an early run and then they just never called back. The National Research Council basically canceled that plan and then went to an American company to partner with them to do it. And almost just like the CanSino deal, that plan fell through as well. There just wasn't the follow through. There wasn't the planning. It seems like the National Research Council likes to partner with foreign companies in hopes that they'll foot the bill while it passes over Canadian companies that are probably better placed and more capable to do the work. So it seems like there's this really fundamental kind of philosophy problem happening at the National Research Council, and this government just keeps falling for it, and, and as does, as has the previous government. So, so obviously, I, yeah. obviously now announced this morning, the Pfizer drug does have approval. Where are we now? Uh, where are we as far as getting this vaccine? Well, we're gonna, we're going to be seeing it. In the next couple of weeks, if not days, we've already seen uh, doses of the Pfizer vaccine uh, used on some elderly and susceptible folks in the UK. It seems like Canada will be in a very similar circumstance in in coming days and weeks. Um, It will be a small run of doses at first, but we're going to see significant, you know, potentially millions of doses arrive early in 2021. And I think you're going to see it alongside the Moderna vaccine, as well as the AstraZeneca vaccine, all produced abroad, of course. Um, but I think you're, you're actually going to see somewhere between 5 to 10% of the population, uh, based on the numbers we're given by the, the federal government, at least, get this vaccine within the first three months of 2021. And how will that compare to the rest of the world? Certainly the UK and, and America. I think relatively competitively. I think you're going to see countries that are going to vaccinate more people more quickly. I think that's unavoidable. I mean, America has financed a lot of these vaccines as has the UK, as has a couple of EU countries. It, it, it is unavoidable that the companies that paid the most to get this technology online, to get these vaccines tested and approved, are going to see more doses quickly. You know, that is the reality. We didn't invent these vaccines. Canada didn't come up with them. We didn't approve them. We didn't invest in them. So we're not going to see them uh, maybe as quickly as some of those countries. That being said, uh, the federal government's effort to sort of buy across the board and secure large numbers of doses from various candidates um, was smart. It was a very smart strategy, and we're going to see the dividends from that. We might not get as many doses as quickly, but we're going to get a lot of doses pretty fast. And I think you're going to see a spot where we're going to have the majority of the country vaccinated probably by next summer. Uh, is that is that conducive to Canadians who are watching others be vaccinated by, I mean, they're talking in the UK by April? I mean, again, the UK put the money up front. Yeah. If we had a huge... But the odd thing, too, is, here. Justin, yeah. the odd thing, too, and, and let me throw this into the mix for you and see what your opinion is here. The other thing here is that, um, uh, you know, the big issue was when the Prime Minister announced all this a couple of weeks ago was that Canada does not manufacture these. Well, at the end, the UK doesn't manufacture the Pfizer vaccine either. It comes from Belgium, no? Yeah, I, I, that's a very fair point. I mean... Another big chunk of this, and and I think it's what you're getting at, you're quite right, is that 
the Canadian government had a delay. Because we were so invested in this CanSino project, we weren't going out and buying some of these other candidates as quickly. That being said, you know, it's not as though every country was out buying all these candidates um, mm. immediately as well. We're going to be closer to the front of the line uh, on the Moderna vaccine, well ahead of, the, I think, the U.S. and the U.K. We're a little bit further back on the Pfizer vaccine. Um, I think we're kind of upper middle level on the AstraZeneca vaccine. So it's sort of, it's really hard to say yeah. exactly whether we're going to be, you know, first, eighth, 20th in, in line for, for the totality of these vaccines. I think the reality is, you know, we're going we're gonna to feel envious for a couple of weeks. We're going to see uh, 10 million people vaccinated in the U.S. and we only have, you know, 500,000 here in Canada. But then we're going to see, you know, a shipment of 10 million vaccines show up. You know, there's going to be this sort of ebb and flow. Um, if we really are months and months and months behind our allies and, and comparative nations, that's going to be really frustrating. And I think there's going to be a lot of reckoning for that. But I think what we're seeing right now suggests that a lot of countries like us are, are kind of in the same spot. We're going to, we might not all get vaccinated on the same day, but it's going to be pretty comparable. Justin Ling has been with us, passed over Canadian biomanufacturing bio company, says it can still produce COVID-19 vaccine. That is the article in the Globe and Mail. Justin, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. Thanks. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Marvin Ryder, business professor to Group School of Business, McMaster University. He is with us now. Marvin, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. I'm fine. Thanks. Glad to be with you. And your thoughts on approval of this vaccination? Well, this obviously is the first of many milestones that are going to happen now. Uh, this is almost like the D-Day, the invasion at the one little beach in mm. Normandy, and then we have to roll it out from there. And I think that's why uh, I realize everyone wants definitive answers, but we just don't have them. Here's one example. This is the first vaccine. This is the Pfizer vaccine. This is non-approval for the Moderna vaccine. That's the second vaccine. I'm aware of at least five other vaccine projects out there that are quickly nearing completion and if they get done we'll have more approvals so in fact within a couple of months we could have seven different vaccines to choose from our government the canadian government has contracted with all of the promising vaccine developers to make sure that whichever ones cross the finish line we're going to have available in that drawn-out news conference, you heard them mention that one of the tricks with the Pfizer vaccine has to be stored at ultra-cold temperatures, which does make it difficult to deliver to very remote parts of Canada. So unfortunately, the people in the Yukon, Northwest Territories, and Nunavut were basically saying to them, you're going to pass on this one. We think the next one up, the Moderna vaccine, doesn't have quite the same kinds of restrictions, and you'll get it as soon as that one's ready to be delivered. And I think you're going to hear that again. So initially, I think they talked about 14 vaccination sites across the lower provinces. People are going to have to go to that site. Well, wait a minute. How do I get this into a long-term care facility? These are details they're working out, and something that they've all been very careful to sidestep in here is this magic word, required. At this point, we're hoping people do, quote, the right thing and, and get the vaccine because it's a good thing to do, not just to protect yourself, but to build immunity across the community. 
But at some point, we may have to see government legislation that steps up and says, this isn't really an optional thing, folks. You know, you're going to have to roll up your sleeve and and get vaccinated, whether you like it or not. And no one's prepared to do that at this time. That's, again, when people say, well, what's your plan? How many do you get? Well, we're not just quite sure (laughs) how many people want to voluntarily get the vaccine versus how many we may have to order to get the vaccine. Hopefully, we don't have to get to that extreme. But we've never tried anything like this at this scale recently, and therefore, we don't really have anything to gauge it for. That being said, the prime minister has already said we already have access when this all does come to to be. We all we certainly do have uh, more than what we need. We have more than what we have uh, a population in the country. That being said, Marvin, I understand everything that you're saying, and I understand why there's no answers here. But at the at the other end of of, of the other part of the world, there is answers. They do have answers. The UK hopes to have uh, the majority of their uh, citizens vaccinated by April. Uh, We're certainly hearing other targets from the United States. Uh, We can certainly understand why we don't have those targets here, because we don't simply have the distribution plan uh, that they have. So, in other words, should we have those answers simply because the others do? Well, I I mean, I'm not trying to argue against you here. I'm just not sure they do have these things. In other words, that's their plan. That's their best guess. But they've never tried to vaccine the po- vaccinate the population of Britain. Can they do it in four months? And and I think the fear is always that if I set a benchmark and then fail to live up to it, let's suppose I told you we'll do this all by April 30th. April 30th gets here and only half the population is done. Well, now what are we going to do? So rather than over-promise and under-deliver, it's usually smart to do it the other way around. Under-promise, well, I hope to have most of the population done by September 30th and then find out, hey, guess what? We actually got it done by July 1st. You're better to do it that way, I think, especially when you're dealing with population health issues. This all started several weeks ago when the prime minister pointed out, because this didn't even really occur to anybody until the prime minister stated that, you know, others are going to get it ahead of us because we simply don't manufacture it anymore. Uh, That being said, the UK doesn't manufacture the Pfizer drug. They got it in from Belgium and and they didn't seem to have this problem. So uh, are we getting mixed messaging here from the federal government in the sense that he started saying, you know, we're not going to get it as fast as everybody and then turned around and said oh but we do have a wee shipment coming in prior to christmas and now we even see approval before the the federal drug administration so uh, are we getting mixed messaging here i know it's better to always undersell or sorry undersell and over or not uh you know saying not over promise i guess right well i think i think you've got some of that going on here but i also think the the companies themselves aren't quite sure what to tell you. Again, I'm the company, I'm Pfizer, let's say. Canada has contracted for a large number of doses from Pfizer, and I'm sure we're on the phone saying, okay, Pfizer, when are you going to deliver those? Well, you know, I'm, I'm trying to gear up. I'm not just quite certain. You know, we've never tried this, so we might have remembered last week they tried some shipments of empty boxes but packed in dry ice just to double-check what are the internal temperatures, does that distribution system work. Even Pfizer, the provider of the vaccine, isn't certain. But again, here's a funny thing about all of this, Scott. Um, today, the government has been getting some flack. The Canadian government is getting some flack because the total number of doses that we have got right for or contracts for 
far exceed the Canadian population. In yeah. fact, I think you could pop, uh, you could vaccinate five times the Canadian population. And and here we were a few weeks ago, kind of pointing at the at the prime minister and blaming him for not being ready. And instead, we find out of all the countries in the world, we've got the best coverage of any of them because we've we've gambled, if you will, with six or seven. Now, for some lesser developed nations, this is a problem. They haven't gotten into the line. They're not at the front of the line quite the same way the developed world is. So here's what I suspect is going to happen. Once we get to a point that we've gotten what we need for our population, or at least yeah. we can see our way, I suspect our prime minister is going to, in an act of humanitarianism, uh, make these things available to other countries. Yeah. But again, imagine from his perspective, what's the greater sin? Under-contracting or over-contracting, right now, I, I give them credit, you've got to ride all of these different horses to the finish line. Some of them may stumble and fall, and you might remember as well that we, we worked with a Chinese company, I think it was called Sinopac, on a vaccine. Turned out that Cancino. vaccine didn't do well. Yeah, Cancino. Yeah, and it didn't, it didn't really come to fruition. Well, that's again, you bet on six or seven horses. If one stumbles and falls, you've still got others to go into the race. So I think we're actually doing pretty well. And isn't it ironic that we may be distributing the vaccine ahead of the United States where vaccine is manufactured? Uh, <laughs> we are maybe distributing it or approving it first, but we've only got 249,000 doses, Marvin. That's the problem. Uh, Marvin Ryder, business professor at the Groot School of Business, McMaster University. As always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Well, glad to be with you, Scott. Well, let's bring in Dr. Lauren Small, infectious diseases specialist with Trillium Health Partners and with us now. Doctor, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Hi there. Th- thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. Good to be you're- here. Your thought on this uh, very important historic day and where we are? Yeah, so uh, very exciting news uh, for everybody uh, in healthcare and uh, certainly uh, uh, in the community. Um, yeah, we're really um, we're really excited about this. Um, you know, it's approved. We we know we're getting at least uh, some vaccine coming. Um, we still have a lot of work to do. Uh, to get there, we uh, we have to make sure that vaccine keeps coming because 250,000 doses obviously is not going to be enough. Um, and um, as that vaccine comes in, we have to have a uh, proper distribution network, uh, which is uh, currently being worked out uh, as we speak. Um, and um, you know, just although this is great news, we we all have to realize that even if we vaccinate everybody today. We're still looking at, uh, you know, up to a year of uh, possible COVID activity in the community. So it's, uh, it's, it's just something we all have to keep in mind. This is not going to be over uh, in, in the next month or so. Uh, last week, we were talking about how we weren't sure when we would get any of this prior to the announcement that uh, initially it was January to March, the first shipment of 6 million doses, enough for 3 million people. Then uh, that was jumped up, and we, we're, we're getting now 249,000 uh, by Christmas. There was also chatter that our approval process would take longer uh, than everyone else's. Are you surprised that we're, in fact, the second one to approve it ahead of the United States? I, I am a bit surprised that we, uh, we approved it uh, before the United States. Generally, uh, for most medications and vaccines, uh, we generally do lag behind um, the, uh, the FDA. 
Um, so it is a little bit surprising, but uh, I expected that we would probably be within a few days of the FDA, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I anticipate it will just be the other way around, and the FDA will, anticip- will, uh, will probably approve it in the next few days. So obviously this is great news, um, but only if when it arrives people take it. There are some uh, fears and anxieties about that. What would you say to those that are questioning um, whether this is a healthy vaccine? Yeah, I, I mean, there, there are, are always going to be concerns uh, around vaccines and medications uh, and side effects. Um, and, um, you know, that's natural. Um, and, um, you know, we do, we do anticipate that like any other medication or vaccine, um, there are the usual possible side effects like muscle aches, uh, slight flu-like illness, uh, low-grade fever. Uh, but as of now, we don't anticipate any major adverse effects. And that, that's something that we would always be looking at as it rolls out. Um, but I think, you know, there are the concerns um, that this is a new type of vaccine. Um, and uh, the, the production method of this vaccine is a little bit different from previous vaccines. Uh, and it's just using new technology. In the end, it ends up being the same mechanism of activity uh, as previous vaccines, um, but it, it in the body, it, it's manufactured in such a way that it's more efficient, uh, and it actually skips a step uh, to get to that immunologic response uh, in the body. Um, but the way it works is exactly the same as uh, any previous vaccine. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, we are getting reports of a couple of uh, adverse reactions. And again, you think of the amount of people this has been tested on and already administered to in the UK. Um, I guess, as you said, that is to be expected. Uh, are we are, are we making too much of those couple that are uh, having a reaction to this? As you mentioned, this is completely normal for this sort of thing. So there, there were a couple of reports uh, from the UK uh, of uh, what were termed allergic reactions. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit difficult uh, to determine exactly uh, what was meant by that. It was a, it was a media report. Um, so really with any vaccine or any medication, uh, it is possible to develop an allergic reaction, which would be different than you know, your typical adverse reaction, like, you know, like I mentioned, sore arm, low-grade fever. An allergic reaction would be a, a specific uh, idiosyncratic uh, response, um, like any other allergy or anaphylaxis, uh, and that would be person-specific. So they're, they're just recommending that, that for those who are prone to very significant allergic reactions, um, that they, they do be careful uh, in, in terms of getting vaccinated. And that's the type of thing that we warn uh, for any vaccination uh, if, if somebody does have very serious allergic reactions. But it's a, it, it was a couple of reports uh, and with very little information. Um, so it does not sound like it is something that is specific to the vaccine. What is your concern as obviously we know where we are now with approval of this? What is your concern moving forward? Yeah, so, you know, we've come far. Uh, we've come far fast. Uh, and uh, my concern is that, you know, we've got the ball rolling uh, and that uh, we'll, we'll reach a point uh, either in getting the vaccine where they'll, you know, we'll, we'll enter a period of shortage 
or we'll have a problem with distribution. Uh, as you know, the, the, specifically the Pfizer vaccine, which is approved um, as it stands now, requires very low temperatures uh, as part of its distribution. So we do have to have a proper distribution network that can support that. So we just have to be sure that going on uh, over the next few months as this rolls out, that that you know, the incoming vaccine and the distribu- distribution network can support all of this. Uh, and that is being worked on right now. And, and hopefully that will, that will roll out smoothly and there won't be any breaks in it. Obviously, uh, a tremendous amount has happened in the last uh, several months. Um, as you look back at even where we are now, and we're certainly not out of the woods, it's, there's still a long way to go here before uh, we can feel comfortable and, and, and relax our protocol in any way. But as you look back at this, what have we learned? What, what can we learn moving forward in this exercise? Yeah, you know, this is, this is the past year has really been unprecedented uh, in terms of the things that have happened um, and um, you know things that we have done to to protect each other and to protect long term care and protect hospitals uh, and the public in general. Uh, and there's just going forward, there's just so much research and information that's going to come out of this that we're going to be able to use in the future for any event like this. And that, that includes, you know, the getting the vaccine out there. This is a vaccine that is showing great efficacy. Uh, and um, it's unprecedented that a vaccine uh, has come out this quickly uh, and looks to be this successful. Uh, and going forward, this, is, this may change uh, how things actually uh, progress with any new infection in the future. Uh, and it's, so it's, it's, once we get out of this, it's going to be really exciting uh, in terms of what we're going to be able to do. How long do you think before we start hearing of more approvals on other drugs? Well, uh, you know, we have at least, uh, f- including Pfizer, we have at least four uh, that are uh, close to approval. Uh, I think we'll hear about the Moderna uh, approval very shortly, probably within the next few weeks. Uh, and then there's two others, the AstraZeneca one uh, and the Johnson & Johnson one, uh, which I think we'll be hearing about as well. And plus, there's, a, there's others out there that we're not hearing that much about, uh, but uh, I, I have a feeling uh, a number of them will also be approved uh, within the next few weeks to months. Dr. Lauren Small has been with us, infectious disease specialist with Trillium Health Partners. Great news today, and that is that Health Canada has approved the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccination, getting the ball rolling. Doctor, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me on. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, the uh, the headline in the Globe and Mail, FBI was persistent about getting information in the Huawei CFO's extradition case, the court hears. To talk more about all of this, let's bring in Charles Burton, senior fellow with the McDonald uh, Laurier Institute and is with us now. Charles, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Hi, Scott. Beautiful day down here in St. Catharines. And lots of good news that Health Canada has uh, announced that they've approved the Pfizer vaccine. So a little bit of optimism in the air, Charles. Fantastic. It's just uh, it's a great day for, uh, you know, for people who don't like pandemics. 
<laughs> well said, Charles. Because uh, there are some out there apparently that do. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, the headline: FBI was persistent about getting information in the Huawei CFO's case. This was uh, the uh, a Canadian border official who testified in court yesterday in regard to this. How significant is this? Uh, is there a chance that this case could get tossed uh, due to lack of proper protocol during arrest? Uh, well, you know, it is pretty appalling that uh, that we screwed up and handed over to the FBI the codes for Ms. Mung's phones. You know, that's highly regrettable. But I frankly doubt very much that this will affect the decision of Justice Heather Holmes of the B.C. Superior Court. You know, most of these extradition things go through um, because we're not actually determining whether Ms. Mung is... Uh, guilty or innocent of the serious charges of fraud against her. We're simply um, assessing whether the U.S. request is consistent with the extradition treaty. So, I mean, a minor, um, you know, foible in the course of, of the arrest doesn't strike me as being all that significant. And I'm not sure it made that much difference. Ultimately, I assume the FBI would have got the, those phones opened up and seen what sort of email she was sending back and forth. Obviously, there was chatter uh, earlier on in the week about the Department of Justice and the lawyers uh, for the Huawei CFO uh, talking about some sort of an agreement. Anything to read into that, or is that just the normal dance that goes on? I think uh, I think you're right with the second one. It's a, there is a lot of dancing going on. I mean, Ms. Meng's father, who is the CEO of, of Huawei, Ren Zhengfei, has stated on several occasions quite straight out that Huawei would never acknowledge any culpability in in defrauding their creditors um, in the course of their business. And, and, you know, it would damage the Huawei image if, if it's seen that Huawei is, is engaged in dishonesty in the financial arrangements. So I, I think that Ms. Meng is still hoping that somehow or other um, the extradition will be dropped. It could be um, through working a deal with the Biden administration where Biden would essentially say, well, what Trump did in terms of this extra, in terms of these charges against Ms. Mung and the extradition um, request was, uh, was ill-advised, and therefore I'm simply going to cancel the, the charges and the extradition, and that would be the end of it. Under those conditions, one could see Canada, U.S., China working out a deal whereby Ms. Mung's uh, extradition being dropped would be conditional on um, on the return of Kovrigan's favor. With the deferred prosecution agreement, you know, that is harder to say. I mean, clearly deferred prosecution is between the U.S. Department of Justice and Ms. Mung as an individual, so it would be hard to explicitly attach a condition saying that um, the Chinese must, uh, you know, release two Canadians that they regard as a consular matter as part of that deal. But, um, you know, stranger things have happened, and I just keep praying that Kovrigan's favor will be back here in Canada with their families early in the new year. Is there any reason to think that this will change with Joe Biden in charge uh, when this Department of Justice uh, situation came up? It, it was tied to the fact that Donald Trump wanted to get this uh, resolved prior to leaving office. Do you think that's accurate? Well, I, I certainly speculated that that would explain the timing. You know, it's become apparent that Mr. Trump will not be staying on as president after January 20th, and I don't think that he wants to see Mr. Biden 
you know, withdraw that extradition request and send it all to dust, and then Mr. Biden would likely make his first foreign tour as uh, as a newly elected president to Canada, where, uh, of course, he could celebrate um, his having got Kovrigan's favor home. And I don't think Trump wants to see any of that, as apparently Mr. Trump doesn't plan to just... Uh, fade into the background and uh, and play golf at Mar-a-Lago once he's, uh, once he's out of the presidency, but seems to want to be an active player in U.S. politics. Uh, rumors are out there that he might even have some sort of TV show or rally the same time as the inauguration, but who knows there. Uh, what about China's reaction? I know. That, who knows what that show is going to be like. Uh, what about China's reaction today to all this news about vaccinations that's coming out, whether it's the U.K., uh, Canada announcing it, it has approved the Pfizer vaccine? I'm, I'm sure that by uh, Thursday they say the FDA is going to do the same. How is that playing out in China? Well, I think the Chinese wanted to be the first, and, you know, this hasn't worked out. Of course, the Russians wanted to be the first, too, and they produced a serum which, you know, m- may not have been sufficiently tested. I mean, clearly China wanted to show that their system is superior in dealing with this kind of crisis, and, you know, and they have got their numbers down considerably through the extreme measures of you know, sealing people into their apartments for long periods and so on that, that China did in the early stages. And so the fact that they have not got their people protected before Britain is something that, uh, you know, the communist regime's not happy about, and they're probably heads rolling in the Department of Health in China for not having, uh, you know, given China more face by, by being the first. Charles Burton has been with us, senior fellow with the McDonald laurier Institute. Charles, as always, thanks so much for the time. Greatly appreciated. Be well. Have a good day. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. As we mentioned earlier on, we were, uh, I guess this started with the music thing. Uh, we were looking for uh, music to open up the, the show with every day. And, you know, it's sort of been COVID related. And, and then we thought, you know what, well, let's help the musicians. So we started asking for local musicians to send us their stuff. Don't take it to the station. Send it to me via the website, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com, your site, what have you. And we'll, you know, we'll play some local stuff to open the show. And then, uh, uh, obviously, we started chatting about restaurants and so on and so forth, and we thought, wouldn't it be a great idea to do the same sort of thing uh, for restaurants? So we're, we're going to start doing that in the next week or so. And uh, Rob, I guess uh, we're going to use him as uh, a sort of a guinea pig here and, and jump the gun and, and just basically, uh, you know, hear from restaurateurs what the challenges is, what the challenges are, and, and how they're surviving uh, through all of this, and, and just to give some of these small businesses a voice. So uh, the owner of Chuggy's Bar and Grill in Stony Creek is with us, uh, Rob Collette, and he's on the line now. Rob, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Hey, Scott. How are you? I'm doing well. Tell everybody where your place is. Well, I'm down on Barton and Millen in Stony Creek. Uh, it's a little place called Chuggy's Tap and Grill. We've been down there close to 30 years. Uh, big part of the community. The community's been so great to us, too. Actually, it's overwhelming right now how people are, the, the things they're doing for us, and um, actually gets me very emotional the, the way we've been treated towards um, just the way they're treating my staff and just offers to help us with everything, you know, kind of thing like that. Talk yeah, about that a little grateful. bit. Give it, give us some examples, Rob. What do you mean? Well, we're very grateful on that end for sure. Like uh, when we uh, were, we, we were not allowed to have a patio because we're, uh, we invite onto a residential. And when the city came through with uh, letting us have a patio, which saved our lives, um, because uh, it just doesn't work if we're, if we're not dealing with full capacity. It doesn't work for us. And yeah. um, 
they had some guys at some of the customers down there who actually are our friends. You know, we've met a lot. Of, we've had a lot of great relationships through there. And they came down and uh, built our patio. That's great. So, like, it's incredible. Like, you know, um, these guys are just, it, it's just absolutely amazing the way people have reached out to us with just offers to help. And, you know, they just, it, it was amazing, you know. So uh, talk about some of the challenges. What's this been like for you through the last nine months? Well, I'm going to tell you, when we had the patio going, you know, it really helped us. Um, uh, My situation is I'm a uh, 75C restaurant, you know, um, 10 people does not cut it, right? Obviously, right? It's keeping our people working, but um, it's just, it doesn't work. And, you know, my main, my main concern is I'm friends with all the guys in the business in, in the city. We're all very good friends. Uh, we try to help each other. You know, I've got friends down, you know, the boys at the end zone there and that, and the village restaurant, and mm-hmm. the Fool and Flagoon, the name, you know, the Innsville, all these places. They've got big places here. You know what I mean? They can't, the 10 people just doesn't cut it for these yeah. guys. You know, it doesn't cut it for us either, but I just don't understand. You know, I got, uh, you know, Elsie and Elaine down there on, um, Burlington Street at two Cougars, like 10 people, right. like it doesn't, it doesn't do it. And it just, I don't understand. You're in the workplace, you're, people working all around you. It, I just, I would hope that city council would take a look at things and say, Hey, let's try to help these guys out. Give them so much per square foot or whatever it is. You know what I mean? And I greatly appreciate, we all do greatly appreciate you giving us a voice. It's very important to us. What about takeout? Has that has that filled the void at all? Obviously, it's kept some yeah. above water, but you know, yeah, obviously, it was, it's not going to work for everybody. It sure does. You know, like our takeout is is, uh, is decent. Um, like I said, the support from the community has been absolutely incredible. Sometimes I have to leave because they're just so kind to us, and they've got enough problems of their own. You know, and but the problem being is we don't do skip the dishes or any of those things because. Uh, we can't give 25% to yeah. somebody, 20, 25%. And like, I encourage people if they could go pick up their order, it would be, it would really help the owners because those service charges they're putting on the customer. And I'm not yeah. trying to knock, skip the dishes, Yeah, but that's not coming from us. You know what I mean? And yeah. if you're just, if you're doing that, you're just turning numbers and you're essentially just collecting tax and, and it doesn't work for the guys. You know what, you know what I'm saying? Like everybody will do it, but it just it, it doesn't work. We can't give twenty five percent of our business. That's just like the medium. You know, they're up to thirty percent in some places. Well, we our margins aren't like that. We we can't give somebody twenty five, thirty percent of our business. It just doesn't work. And also I I don't want anybody delivering my food. If somebody picks up five orders from five different restaurants and mine lasts on the list, well, my food's ice cold yeah, and that's yeah. on me not on them you know what i mean so it's a very difficult situation there um when the people pick it up we've been very strong that way people have helped us a lot it doesn't cut it all the way because we we need our in-house and the virus is what it is but i just believe with the square footage you can have people 20 feet apart you know what i mean if with when you get a large place and still be safe you know what i'm saying yeah absolutely rob yeah. collette has been with us owner of chuggy's bar and grill in stony creek in the barton and millen road area just another one of the uh restaurateurs out there that need your support during this pandemic so when you're thinking about that uh think local rob thanks for the time good luck to you all and uh yeah, thanks for taking the time you did hear it my friend 
No problem. Thank you. Uh, that's Rob Collette, owner of Chuggy's Bar and Grill at uh, Millen and Barton. And uh, let's keep doing this. So if you're a small business out there, you're a small uh, restaurateur, and you want to chat with us in this time slot about roughly uh, 10 minutes or so of what is going on in your place, we'd love to hear from you. Send me a note via the website, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.